Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. In this episode, the class had a virtual visit with Lou Mangiello of WDW Radio. Lou told the class about growing up a fan of Disney, the importance of Disney to him and his family, moving closer to Walt Disney World, and building an entrepreneurial empire around his love for the magic and his love for the Walt Disney Company. I'm really excited for you to listen to this podcast. It was extremely exciting to have Lou talk to the class, and I hope you enjoy it. Come along with us on our adventure. All right, so again, uh, we have heard of Lou's story uh, when we watched the Dreamfinders. Um, so that's, he'll spend some time talking about that today. Um, but then also some of the things that he's working on now. And um, I have informed him that um, we should have some pretty good questions for him. So uh, without further ado, Lou, go ahead, take it over. Um, I'm going to run out and I'll be back in in 30 seconds. No problem. I appreciate you guys having me today. I know it's a Monday morning, so you're probably, you know, still half asleep from the weekend. Um, I would like to know, especially since it's a, a small group, if we could just sort of go through very quickly, just sort of introduce yourself, your name, um, and what you're studying, because I want to sort of make sure that I make this time as valuable for you guys as possible. So in whatever way, left to right, right to left, um, and what you're studying and why you're taking this class. Other than the fact that it's a, you know, cool excuse to talk about Disney World. Can you see me? I can. Okay. Hello, my name is Journey Taylor. I am a senior journalism major. Uh, my focus is news and broadcast, and I need an honors requirement, and I know that doesn't sound well, but I'm just <laughs> letting you know the truth, so <laughs> I am here. <laughs> I get it. It's like the math major, like, look, I need some sort of arts course. It's why I'm here. So that's cool. Exactly. <laughs> um, can, you, can you see me? Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm Caroline King. I'm a junior uh, biology major hoping to go to optometry school, and I also just need a college requirement, but I love Disney, so I was like, this makes sense. Okay. Um, goodness. Um, I'm Carson Smith. I'm a freshman business major. Um, I needed the honors course. <laughs> All right. Since your teacher's not here, is there anybody who's here because they actually want to be here? Just, you know. <laughs> Well, the thing is yeah. that with the honors department, they these are classes that come up out of nowhere for each semester, if that makes sense. So you kind of pick the class that you like best. So I think we do want to be here compared to no. the other honors uh, courses that were offered this semester. Well, it was either like this or history. Yeah. So who's not going to choose Disney over history? Right. <laughs> and what, what's, this, what's this class actually called? Is it, is it sport commerce? It's. Well, this is this is being a fan of Disney. So this is the this is separate from the sport commerce unit that I teach in. This is the uh -huh. honors school or honors college now. So just so I can relay this story to people outside this room, there's a class that you can take for honors called being a fan of Disney. Yes. yes. I want this. I need to wrap my head around. <laughs> Because my elective, I was a sociology and criminal justice major, and I had to take calligraphy in order to fill <laughs> one, of my, uh, one of my requirements. So, 
Uh, but anyway, so, so keep going around. So, uh, my name is Mallory Hunt. I'm a civil engineering major, and I took this class because I'm, I'm not that familiar with Disney, so I thought it would be a good class to get to know. Hey, I'm Joshua. I'm a freshman and accounting major here at Memphis, and, um, and I took this class because it was, one, required, but it was also something that I was the most interested in. Okay. My name is Mary. I'm a junior psychology major, and I took this class for honors credit, and I'm interested in the history of Disney. Hello, my name is Ty Jones. I'm a freshman, and my major is Disney. And uh, I took this class because I actually like Disney, and, and also I need this other class as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, my name is Athena Campbell, sophomore psychology major. Um, and I took this class just because I was like really interested in Disney and just wanted to like ex like learn more, I guess, about everything. And Lou, to let you know, my original, what I thought I was originally going to do with this class <clears throat> was literally pull up YouTube videos of rides and documentaries. We were going to watch the Dreamfinders and some other things. And then the first day, I asked everyone what they wanted to go over um, and so we got into we want to know some of the history of it we want to know some of the struggles behind opening Disneyland um, we want to know some of the as best I can provide the business aspects of it um, and so it kind of it morphed into what it is now where um, we've gotten into all these different areas throughout the semester at least to a certain extent, I hope. Okay. And let me just teach you guys one thing. You blew a golden opportunity to suck up to your teacher. Like, I heard Dr. Harvard's the best professor ever. That's why I'm in this class, but that's all right. You <laughs> see that. Um, so I, I know you know a little bit about my story, but I, I want to sort of fill in um, and tell you a little bit more because you might be wondering, like, who is Lou Mangello and why am I sitting here listening to him? So I want to rewind about, uh, I can't do the math, 15, gosh, it's 15 years ago, um, I was a lawyer in New Jersey, which are two things that I ask that you don't hold against me. Um, I also had an IT consulting company on the side, which means two things. It means um, I didn't sleep very much, and I was always in a service business. Um, and a typical day for me was I was a trial attorney, so I would get up, I'd go to court, I would, you know, do a motion or do a case. I'd go back to my office. Um, I'd see a client. I'd leave my office. I'd go to my one of my computer consulting clients. This is going to show you how long ago this was. It was when networking computers was actually still very early on. So I would be there in my suit, like on the floor in sawdust, like in a lumber yard, like running network cable, trying to find out why they couldn't print. I'd be back to my office, see clients till six o'clock, go home and hail my di dinner, go down to my basement and do web development work till one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, so always being in the service business, everything was always on me. Um, the little bit of TV that I did watch at two o'clock in the morning was mostly infomercials. So I said, like, I want to make something once. I want to make something once and resell it. And uh, the idea of a book is what came to me first. And I wasn't smart enough to write about the law and couldn't really write about anything in computers. And all I really knew about was Disney World. Um, I had been going to Disney with my family since November of 71. So about a month after the park opened, um, we literally hopped like in the family truckster, like a bad version of vacation and drove 
uh, every year, once or twice a year from New Jersey to Florida, which is not as wonderful as it seems in the movies because there was no DVD players, there was no smartphones. It was like me, my brother, my mom and dad locked in the car for 20 hours playing like the license plate game. But um, I became fascinated by this place. And the older I got, I started to read everything I could about it. I still have my first book that I bought and, and sort of dog-eared the pages because I read it so often uh, about Disney World because I wanted to learn like, what was it that was bringing us back year after year. As, got, as I got older and I realized the, 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 the magnitude of what was going on here, I was more curious about not what was bringing us back, what was bringing tens of millions of people back every year. Uh, how they, I remember driving onto property and being amazed at how clean everything always was. As I got into business as an adult, I wondered, and still sometimes wonder, how they were able to get from cast members that level of performance, and more importantly, that level of care, which goes beyond, I think, sort of traditional customer service that makes every guest feel special when they are there. So I had this idea to write a book, and all I know about is Disney World, so I really set out to write the book that I wanted to read, which was a trivia book. Um, I was fascinated by the details and the minutia. There was no trivia book out there. So again, I'm showing my age like a lot. I drove to Barnes and Noble, which you might remember, those were big brick and mortar bookstores that you used to walk into and buy books. Uh, I took every travel book off the shelf. I went into a corner, I turned them upside down and I wrote down the name of every single publisher of any travel guidebook, Disney related book that was there. And uh, I wrote down what was called a query letter to try and see if I could sign up on as a publisher. Um, back in 2013, there was no vanity publishing, there was no print on demand, there was no Create Space or Lulu or anything like that. The only way to get your book into a bookstore was via a traditional publisher. Um, I wrote 48 letters to 48 different publishers, and I still have a folder with all 47 of my rejection letters, um, but I got one. And if you take away anything today, like you only need one yes. You only need one person to give you an opportunity. And I did, I signed a three book deal to, to write the, the Walt Disney World trivia book, which didn't exist before. Uh, I was surprised Disney had written one on their own. And when I got the book, when I got my case of books from my publisher, who by the way, when I signed on, when I signed my contract with them, um, the very, I'll never forget, look, we were on the phone I, we came to an agreement, he sent me, FedEx me the contract, and the very first thing he said was, congratulations, don't quit your day job, because you are never gonna make a living selling books. Um, and there's less than 100 people in the United States that actually make a living as authors. Um, you know, fast forward, the, I think the book is the new business card, it's a vehicle to sort of promote other things, but I just wanted to see if I could do it, if I could get a publisher to sort of validate my work, make my mom proud, the books came in the mail, I saw it on Amazon, I saw it in Barnes & Noble, and I just sort of checked it off the list, like, okay, you know, mission accomplished, I set out to to do, um, I, you know, what I had wanted to. Um, I had a little two-page brochure website. I had a homepage and an about page with a link to buy the book on Amazon. And that was really it. I had never expected to do anything beyond that. But I started to get emails from people who had read the book and who had questions, um, and I started to respond to them, and I started writing articles, which is what we called blog posts back in 2004. Um, 
And I was really fascinated because, again, there was no social media back then. The, those, the words social and media were never sort of put together in the same sentence. So to a certain degree, I really felt like I was the only guy of my age that you know, loved Disney as much as I did. But I started to get emails, I started to write articles uh, for my site. And in January 2004, uh, I started a discussion forum. Again, there was no Facebook, no Twitter, no Friendster, no MySpace. So I started a, a bulletin board on my site. And that the first night that I turned it on in January 2004, 29 people signed up as members. And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like there's 29 other dorks sitting in their basement that love Disney as much as I do. Like, these are my people. Like I couldn't believe it. But 29 quickly turned into 100 and then 500, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000. And they're like, wait a minute. Like I'm not alone. Like there are a lot of other people out there. And I realized that that was sort of a turning point for me because there was a, uh, a very separate, you know, uh, community that I was trying to bring together. I sort of was building the clubhouse for them to get to come together to. So um, fast forward a couple of years, um, I've got the website and I hear about this new technology called podcasting. Um, I literally went to go to askjeeves.com to find out what exactly this podcast was. All I knew was that it was uh, a spoken word content that you could download on the internet. So uh, being the, the computer nerd that I was, uh, I found a, a buddy of mine um, who also was a tech nerd and a Disney guy, and we started a podcast in April of 2005. And at the time, there were very, very few podcasts. Like, podcasts weren't even in iTunes as yet. You had to, like, hand code everything and have a special reader to find it. But the same thing happened. I'm like, okay. So and my friends at the time, who aren't my friends anymore, and you'll find out why, were like, wait a minute, man, like, I get it. Like, you did your little Mickey Mouse book and that's cool, but you mean to tell me you're gonna sit in your room by yourself and talk into a microphone and then upload to the internet thing and hope that people listen to it? And I'm like, yeah, man, isn't that awesome? And they're like, I give you six weeks. Like, nobody's gonna care, nobody's gonna listen, but the same thing happened. The first week, I had 250 people, and then it was 1,000, 5,000, that same sort of exponential growth happened and I realized that there was a, not just a community of people out there, but a community of people that were hungry for content, right? Those of you who are Disney fans probably feel, well, you can't get to Disney as often as you would like. You want to sort of consume content, sort of give you that fix. And that's what I and what we were doing as, as third-party content providers, because Disney themselves didn't have a blog. They really didn't have much of a website other than being able to book travel. And they st still, to this day, never got into podcasting. Uh, weren't even doing videos or anything like that. So um, very, very long story longer, um, this starts to grow, uh, snowball a little bit. Um, I'm making a little bit of money from like little affiliate ads and Amazon ads on the side, but never thinking this was gonna be anything more of a business until, I, until one day I got one phone call. Then my wife comes running downstairs with a phone, this is what a phone used to look like. She came running downstairs and handed me the phone, and this woman says, hey, I'm so-and-so from XYZ Company. I love what you do on your podcast. How much do you charge to sponsor? And I looked at my phone, and I went, and it seemed like it was like slow motion, like, whoa, like, now what do I do? Like, and I'm sitting here trying to process, like, wait a minute, somebody wants to pay me to do what not only that I enjoy, but what I'm already doing for free? 
So I said, well, let me get back to you. I'll put together a proposal. And I hung up the phone. I'm like, well, now what the hell do I do? Like, I had no clue. Like, I'm trying to, to figure out what I'm supposed to charge for somebody to, to sponsor. But that really was a turning point for me. Um, I start getting busier. Um, I start to... Um, Disney it starts to invite me to, to media events, so that was very much um, a, a shot in the arm in terms of um, a feeling of credibility because I would go to events standing next to the same guys from you know USA Today or you know Channel X whatever news. It was very validating for me, and then I was sort of flying back and forth from New Jersey to Florida a couple of times a month to do research, to work on my books, to do video, whatever. And at one point I said, look, um, you know, I don't know how I can do this. I had no business plan. I had no framework in mind in terms of, of, of what I was going to do. But the, the thing that was bothering me was a sense of fear. And the fear that I had was not a fear of failure. It was a fear that it was really a fear of what, if, right? It was not of what if I fail, but like, what if five years, 10 years, 20 years go by and I look back and I go, you know, what if I would have tried this? What if I would have tried to see if I could make a business out of it? I was afraid of the regret I was going to fear, to feel later on. So I went upstairs, and I'll never forget, my wife was upstairs watching TV, and I said, you know, I think I want to, I can turn this into a business, but in order to do so, I need to be in Florida. And if I'm going to give it a shot, I need to give it a realistic shot. I need to be there, round this back and forth. And she goes, you know what? I think you're right. And I don't think she had the word right out of her mouth yet, but before I went downstairs and started packing, because I didn't want her to change her mind. Um, so at the time, I wasn't practicing law anymore. I was the chief technology officer for a medical imaging company, which translated means I ran the network. I sat in my office all day, doing all my Disney stuff all the time. Um, I was making a great salary. I had benefits and uh, was able to sort of do my, my thing without anybody bothering me. And I gave my notice. And I'll never forget that mon that first Monday that I went downstairs to my computer with my cup of coffee in my hand and I had nowhere to go. And I was like, holy crap, what the hell did you just do? You just left a six-figure job with benefits. You've got a wife and two baby kids upstairs. You have no idea how you're gonna turn this thing into a career. Like, if I go back tomorrow, maybe I can just pretend I was joking and they'll take me back. Um, but that fear slowly subsided uh, because, again, I knew if I wanted to do this, I had to give it a shot. Um, wasn't too much later on. I sold my house. I brought money to my closing, which life lesson is not the way it's supposed to work. You're supposed to make money, not bring money. Um, but I had to take this huge leap of faith. I drove down to Florida with as much as I could fit into my Honda Odyssey. Everything else was in a storage unit that I paid way too much for. I moved into a house that I never even saw before. My parents rented for me online, um, but it was. It was very much a leap of faith to see if I could, if I could do this um, with really, like I said, no business plan, which is not the way I would recommend it doing going forward. So there's a fine line between you know what looks like a great idea and absolute stupidity. Unfortunately, I landed on the right side of that. And again, my friends at the time said the same thing. They're like, wait a minute, man. I'm like, it's one thing to do your little book and your little show, all that, but you mean to tell me you're gonna quit your job, move to Florida, and figure out how to talk about Mickey Mouse every single week and make money on it because your family still needs to eat and go to school? And I'm like, yeah, man, isn't that awesome? And they said, I'll give you six months, they'll be back. 
And fortunately, it worked out. I've been down here for, you know, 12, 13 years now. Um, and, and it did. And it worked out. Um, and it didn't happen by accident. Uh, I will tell you that in the past number of years of doing this, I work longer and I work harder now doing what I do, but I don't feel like I work, you know, a day in my life because I'm doing what I love every single day. Um, and as time has gone on, because I'm sure that the, uh, the obvious question is, well, how do you like, how do you make money doing it? Like, how do you turn this thing that you love into this thing that you do? Uh, and if I was to grab it for you, you know, there'd be a lot of circles, sort of little extensions on it, um, because you, I never wanted to rely on a single source of income. So I have sponsors for my show. Uh, I've put out a number of physical and digital products. I've, I've published, I've, I've had two books published. I've self-published two books. I've self-published a series of uh, audio walking tours of the parks. I used to give private tours of the parks. Um, I. Uh, I do a lot of special events. I do cruises every year as part of my job. It, again, so much better than being a lawyer. Um, and now I start to work with other entrepreneurs and businesses to help them sort of turn that thing that they love into that thing that they do um, because I not only enjoy it and I'm grateful for it, but um, I feel bad for the people that get up every day and I'm like, oh my God, I hate my freaking boss. I hate my freaking job, but I can't wait to go home and work on an X, right? I wanna, I wanna help people figure out how to turn that, that thing, that X, whatever that is, into uh, an opportunity that could eventually you know, go from uh, a passion into a profession. Um, and I think you guys are in a, in a very unique, very enviable, en enviable position because um, unlike when I was in school and had to take calligraphy, you are equipped with the tools and the resources and the opportunity that I didn't have. You know, if you wanted to write a book, you had to find a publisher. If you wanted to be on TV, you had to have somebody that was going to fund and give you an opportunity to create a pilot. If you wanted to um, uh, um, create content, you had to wait for somebody to give you an opportunity to put it out there. Uh, now all of us, you guys included, are publishers and content creators, whether it's physical products, digital products, audio, live video. Um, and, or these are, and these are all the things that I do because I, I believe you need to create content in the ways that people are um, most comfortable consuming them. Um, the entrepreneurial life is not for everybody. Um, again, it's it's... It's exciting, but it's also very challenging when you are sort of the captain of your own ship and you've got to make sure that money is coming in and bills are getting paid and you are not just the content creator, but you are the marketing team, you're the customer service team, you're the social media team, you are the production team, you're the editing team, you're all those different things. But uh, for me, sort of the, the entrepreneurial lifestyle is one that I would never change. Um, I know never say never, but I would never go back to Jersey except for good pizza and good bagels. Um, I would never go back to practicing law. Um, I would definitely find something to do other than that. Um, although I don't feel that my legal career was wasted because obviously I still have that, um, not on a resume, but, but the knowledge that I gained from doing all that certainly, um, pays dividends in business now. Um, you know, not that I hope that I ever need a lawyer going forward, but um, so, you know, that's a very, um, 
a very long-winded yet relatively short um, explanation of sort of how I got from you know where I was to where I am. But at the, the nucleus of everything that I do to sort of bring things back full circle to you guys, it really comes of out of my love and my passion for Disney and the Disney parks, um, even in, in business. So a lot of times when I do a lot of public speaking, um, again, these secondary and tertiary businesses that have grown out of this Disney thing, uh, I talk a lot about Disney and I use Disney as an example. So I'll talk about everything from customer service, which I don't think that any brand does as well as Disney. Um, the, the level of brand loyalty that Disney has is unparalleled by any other company. Uh, I think Apple may be a distant second, and that's about it in terms of, of actual brand loyalty. Uh, I think there's a lot of entrepreneurial lessons we can learn from Walt Disney, whose journey was as difficult and circuitous as anybody's. You know, he went bankrupt and he mortgaged his house and he mortgaged his family and he did a lot of things when people, I'm not comparing myself to Walt, you know, my friends told me, you're crazy, you'll be done in six months. You know, when he created Snow White, the first like animated feature, he was being laughed out of Hollywood. You know, it was known as Disney's folly because they said nobody is gonna sit down and watch a two hour cartoon. Doctors were warning people not to go to the theaters because your kids were gonna have seizures from watching a cartoon for so long. Um, Everything that he did, Disneyland was a huge gamble. Walt Disney World was a huge gamble. Um, and I think there's a lot of, of um, life and business lessons that we can and should take away from um, from Walt Disney. And I think that's I think in, in this life article, I think that's one of the things that we um, actually might have have uh, might might have been talking about. So um, you know the the. My, my ultimate belief for all this, if I was to croak tomorrow, the things I would want people to learn would be that, you know, you do have the ability to turn that thing that you love and that thing that you do. When I was a kid, you, you were sort of taught, you go to school, you go to college, you get a job you hate, and you do that thing that you love at nights on weekends. Um, I think that has completely shifted. Your education is still of paramount importance, but you can use that to leverage whatever that thing that you're interested in. So those of you who are, you know, math majors and history majors, if that's not the thing that, you know, in your heart of hearts you love doing, you should really think about it. Um, because I tell people all the time, when you're trying to figure out whatever that, that passion, like what is that thing that you could imagine yourself doing every single day for the rest of your life if money was no object? Like if you don't think about how I will make money doing it, what's the thing that I would love to do every single day? That's needs to be, I think, the starting point. And then you sort of build your business, your brand, your company, your service, or your product um, around that, if that makes any sense. Um, Cody, is that, is that a, a, is that, hopefully that's at least a start in terms of, in terms of where you wanted me to, to go? Yeah, yeah, I think that's really, that's really good. And like I said, I, a lot of these students in here um, are kind of early in their academic career. So they have a lot of options open to them. And so, yeah, I wanted them to hear about your journey and kind of how you were able to, to turn this into something that you do on a daily basis. Um, 
So do you guys have any questions for me? And, and you know, feel free to, you know, you can ask me anything. I might not answer it. You can ask me anything uh, because I want this to be of, of not just of interest to you, but I want it to be of value to you. So. Um, you mentioned you did private tours. Was that through Disney? No. So to be clear, um, I am not paid by Disney. I have never gotten a dime from Disney. Um, in the interest of full disclosure, other than being invited to a media event or you know the opening of a restaurant, I pay full price for my own tickets. I pay full price for my family's annual passes. I don't. Uh, I am not an employee um, of them at all. Um, so when I started to do private tours, it really came not out of me trying to find a way to to monetize what I do, but people were asking me if I would do it, or I'd be with friends and be taking them through the parks and found that they were sort of interested because what I loved, and I think it maybe came from a selfish place too, because everything that I was doing in terms of content was push content. I was pushing out books, I was pushing out articles, I was pushing out uh, 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 podcasts, I was pushing out videos, and then I was waiting, right? I would have to sit back and wait for the, the return. Um, that's why I started doing, so I've been doing live video every week since 2008. Um, I know live videos, it's a relatively new thing, but for me, I've been doing it for 10 years, because I wanted that real-time engagement. So for me, I started to do the private tours for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted to enhance people's understanding and appreciation of the parks beyond just going there and waiting in line for you know whatever attraction for a long time. Excuse me, because like the movies and everything Disney does, the parks are rooted in storytelling. And there is no great big book of Imagineering that when you walk into Magic Kingdom tells you where to look for the story. So I wanted people to understand the history and the meaning and the reasoning and the stories behind what they were seeing. And the best way for me to do that was via tours. Um, I would not take a group of 20 people. I would limit it to four or five people. Um, and I would take them through what sometimes would be you know, a six hour tour of Magic Kingdom. Um, Again, because I wanted them to have, you know, a much better vacation experience. And what I did is different than anything that Disney was doing. If you do a tour through Disney, you're in a group of 20 or 30 people. You go sort of on a, a predetermined path. They're, they're awesome, and they take you places that I couldn't take you, you know, backstage, uh, underground to the Utilidors. But I wanted to do something different and more importantly, something that was personalized for the people that were there. So it was less of you follow me around and I spew out fact after fact after fact, I'm going to learn about the family that's there, the couple that's there, their vacation history, their vacation experience, the things they wanted to see and learn about. And it was really a, a more of an interactive, engaged discussion um, that I would take them through. Um, the problem with doing tours is you can't scale it. Um, and I'll never forget when I first started doing it, and I put it out on my website, I'm like, nobody's gonna want to do this. Who's gonna want me to go around Magic Kingdom with them on a tour? And I was very surprised as I, you know, as I had been in the past with the response. And I'll never forget, I had booked four tours four days in a row in the middle of August. And if you've ever been to Orlando in Walt Disney World in the middle of August, not only is it stupid crowded, but it's about 117 degrees with 98% humidity in the shade. By day four, like you, as as unique as I try and make it for everybody, you, you have to sort of go over the same facts. You have to sort of tell the same jokes. Um, 
I, I realized that it was something that I couldn't scale, uh, nor could I bring anybody else on to do because what people wanted was they wanted, and it's awkward for me to say it, but they wanted, you know, the person to be taking them around was not just an individual who could spew off. They wanted to have that dialogue with me because what the, the podcast specifically does, because it's such an intimate medium, is I've said since my very first show that we are friends whether we've met yet or not. Anybody a podcast listener? Not to my show, to any show? Ever listen to podcasts? Yeah, I do. See, that's, and that's fascinating to me. That, And I'm still waiting, every time I talk to, to uh, university students, I still wait for that number of hands to go up to be higher because you guys especially are the on-demand generation, right? Like how many of you watch DVR, Hulu, Netflix, for the most part, to get your, your video content, to get your TV content? Right, right, because you don't want TV to tell you this is when you have to listen to what we want you to watch, when we want you to watch it. You want to watch who and what you want um, on your time, on your schedule, and you pick and choose the content you want to consume. I'm still amazed that it's not the same yet for audio content. And I don't know if it's because it's still too difficult to find and subscribe to shows. Um, do you guys listen? I mean, this is a dumb question, but I'm, I'm sort of doing a little informal poll. But do you guys listen to the radio? Yeah. 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 Or, or do you, or let me rephrase that. Do you listen to the radio or talk radio, or do you consume your, your audio content via Spotify, um, SoundCloud, stuff like that? I do like half and half. I do both. Yeah, I, do both. I, didn't, I couldn't hear. Half and half. We both do. We all do both. Okay. So you still listen to regular sort of terrestrial radio mm -hmm. to get audio content? I would watch TV if I had cable. <laughs> I just, I don't have cable in the dorm, so I can't watch TV. But it, do you not have cable because it's not offered or because it was a choice not to subscribe to cable? It's offered, but it's really hard to set up. So I just, I'm not in the room enough to try and set it up. Right. I just don't watch cable because honestly, I hate commercials. And that, that's something that's different. I mean, like me, I've, we had to grow up watching commercials. You watched every commercial. You couldn't fast forward through anything. Literally, if I'm watching like normal cable TV and like my, whatever I'm watching goes on commercial, I have like 200 backup channels that I'm going to switch to while that one's on commercial. <laughs> or you go to your phone. Right? Yeah. You watch on TV yeah. and a commercial comes on. What's the first thing you do? You go to your, the other device that's sitting in your hand. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you go to me. <laughs> you know, and, and real quickly, that type of behavior has fundamentally changed the way television and anything's produced now. Because people are fast forwarding through the commercials, now you have more product placement in the television shows you're watching. So pay attention when you're watching Modern Family or American Housewife or anything like that you'll see if, if there's an actual brand and it's the real brand of whatever they're drinking or eating or is in their house, then that they, there's an agreement with that. If there's not, like back in the day of <clears throat> Friends was really one of the first shows to do this. They would have, instead of Fritos, they might have like Litos <laughs> because they didn't have an agreement with Fritos, so it would be L-I-T-O-S instead. Um, so, But that's like a, a direct impact of like all of this type of behavior, so. Yeah, I mean, that's that's why I was asking about sort of being on demand is, you know, um, 
the, the money, I mean, look, it, it, you know, sort of a, a quick tangent, you sort of talk about changing advertising as a whole. When's the last time you looked at a billboard while you're in the car? Like, whether you're driving or not. You know, I think when I see people still uh, taking out billboard ads, I'm fascinated because when you're in the car, what are you doing? You're looking down, right? When you're talking to the person, most of the time you're so um, distracted. The fact that people are still taking out newspaper ads is fascinating and what I consider a waste of money because it's not targeted, it's not trackable, unlike what you can do with an online ad or even a podcast ad. Like for me, you know, I take a very limited number of very heavily vetted advertisers and sponsors and partners, but what I offer is something that the newspaper, the billboard, or even friends can't offer. I have a very specific, very targeted, very engaged, very loyal demographic, right? My audience does one thing. They love, they eat, sleep, drink, poop, Disney, and they go to Disney World. So if you are a hotel, if you are a restaurant, if you are a travel agency in and around the Disney area, I'm handing you your audience on a silver platter. I can give you specific demographics about who's listening, how long they're listening, where and when they are listening, um, so you can understand what the actual ROI is. And that's not meant to sound like an, an advertisement for what I do, but it's about what this medium does um, and how, again, we as third-party content providers change opportunities not just for ourselves, but for other people, right? So Disney is not going to, you asked me about, you know, do I get paid by Disney? Disney on their website on content they produce is not gonna advertise a, a restaurant that's not on Disney property. It's not gonna advertise a hotel that's just off Disney property where I could still give them that same demographic. I, I was at a much smaller scale, um, but an opportunity to reach people that they couldn't reach through, you know, Disney officially, if that makes any sense. So, and I will tell you that people said, you know, if I'm such a Disney fan, did I ever want to work for the company? Maybe as a kid I would have liked to, but I would, but now not working for them gives me the freedom and flexibility to do and say, although I'm a very positive guy, and talk about whatever I want, whenever I want. So I choose the content that I want to talk about as opposed to, look, at the end of the day, Disney is a giant corporate machine, as opposed to uh, in a corporate environment being told what it is that they need to promote, that they want to push, and how the content needs to be created. So, so that freedom that I have is something that is is incredibly important, and incredibly valuable to do. Other questions? Whenever you do tours through the park, is that not like a legal thing with Disney? Like, do you not have to like have permission from them to do stuff like that? No, because what I was doing was um, I, I wasn't. There were no sort of transactions that were going on. Like, um, you hear me okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and some of your feedback. Um, I'm going to take this off first. Um, so yeah, what I was doing wasn't anything that was in uh, competition with what Disney was doing. I wasn't taking around groups of 20 people. I mean, it really was sort of me in small groups of three or four people that really were sort of friends. Um, but And I didn't do it for very long, um, again, just because of the scalability of it um, and my time. You know, if I did a tour for four or six hours one day, that pretty much shot my entire day. Um, so as much as I loved being able to do it, 
um, I didn't do it for very long. And that's why now um, live video is probably as important to me as the podcast is because it is scalable and I can still do that. And unlike when I first started doing live video, I used to literally have to carry around a laptop, a 3G card, a wireless, uh, a wired webcam, and a battery pack on my shoulder. And I was walking around the Magic Kingdom with a laptop in my hands. Now I have much better quality, much better production studio in my phone. But more importantly, I can reach more people and do the same thing without having to physically walk through the parks, you know, with four or five people next to me. Well, and that brings up a really good point that something that I've wondered and um, you all talked about in the documentary is just the the amount of people who are in the parks shooting footage, um, doing ride videos, doing like the programs like you're doing, um, and that dis that, that it's almost I think in the documentary someone even said it's it's almost a free form of advertisement for Disney. So are the, I mean, what are the limits that a person has to, you know, keep within um, to be able to do this? So obviously I can't speak for the Disney company in terms of what they allow, what they don't allow. Um, look, when you go now and watch the fireworks at, at, in Magic Kingdom, if you're standing in the middle of Main Street USA and you're looking at Cinderella Castle, all you're going to see in front of you is a bunch of, of white white squares because everybody and their mother is videotaping or live broadcasting the fireworks um you know the i think disney likes the idea look the reason why we go to disney is not because of disney's marketing efforts i firmly believe that i think not that they ever would but disney literally could pull every tv and radio and magazine spot off and save all that money why because the reason why we go to Disney is not because Disney tells you how great it is. It's because when your friends and family come back and say, look at this video, hear about this great experience we had, the cast member was exceptional, or because they're sharing it with you via live video, that is the thing that's like, wow, I didn't know Disney's doing that. I didn't know that they're having a Guardians attraction in a Star Wars land. We should book a trip to Disney. So I think they realize the benefit of what guests share it. Look, the reason why we make choices is, is for me, I believe, primarily not based on the advertising of the brand itself. Look, if you want to go to a restaurant, a vacation, whatever, where are you going to go first? You're going to go to your social networks and ask your friends, hey, I'm going to Denver, where's a good place to eat? I'm going on a cruise, what's the best cruise line to take? You don't necessarily go to the brand to hear their marketing message, we go to our friends first. So Disney recognizes the value in having guests, content providers, create and share information in a way that's different. Look, if Disney says, go to Pecos Bills, it's the best hamburger in Disney World, it's a marketing message. If I go and do a live review, and I immediately like, oh my God, it's the best freaking hamburger I ever had, that's your friend telling you, well, that's the best freaking hamburger, we should go and check it out. So they, I, I believe, recognize the inherent value in that and the difference in the messaging, which is why they not just allow, but I think they encourage and foster. Look, the, the Disney company traditionally sort of sits in the background when new technology comes out. They wait, they watch, they learn, they listen, and then they launch their own ways to do it. 
Uh, they've increased the number of cell towers here. They have a new, a relatively new deal with AT&T. There's a, they're building a lot of things into their mobile app um, to encourage people to not just capture content, but more importantly, share it. So you say you do all of these like podcasts and all this content. Do you ever, are you ever afraid that you're going to run out of things to talk about? So I've been doing this for 13 years and I have knock on wood, I've never repeated a, a topic um, in all the years of podcasting because there's always either something new coming up. There's always a different way to approach it as well. Obviously as, as Disney has grown and the parks have grown, um, you know, with the acquisition of things like Muppets and Star Wars and certainly now Marvel, um, there's a lot more to talk about and different ways to frame the content. So because I try and do a show that will appeal to the family that's going to Disney World for the first time, as well as that hardcore fan that wants to learn the history and the details and the stories and the meaning, it gives me a very wide spectrum of content. Again, different than what Disney is doing because Disney they're not necessarily interested in creating content about what the park looked like in 1973. They want to get you here in 2018 and 2019. So um, I'm able to sometimes, I think, fill a void and fill a gap that Disney enthusiasts want, that Disney doesn't necessarily want or can do itself. Growing up, when you went to Disney World as a child, what were your favorite like memories of that? And like, what got you into learning more about it? Is he a plant? Did you just put him here to make me cry? It's all like stories about good parents making me cry. Because um, it is, and like, and this is a this is a no BS answer. Um, the thing that makes Disney World a, a special place, and I believe it's a special place, is. It's not the ride, it's not the attractions, it is the, the ability that it has to help you create um, lasting memories. I think it, it's, um, it's, it stems from the cast members themselves. Look, the cat, every, every cast member in Walt Disney World or any Disney park that you go to, I don't care if they're a custodian, if they are a cashier, if they're a ride operator, if they're cleaning your hotel room, they have one simple, singular responsibility. And that job that every cast member has is boils down to three words, make people happy. That's it. You can teach them to do anything else. You can teach them how to clean, to sweep, to cook, to do whatever. That's what their job is. And I think because they facilitate that so well, the reason why I'm here today, the reason why I talk about Disney, the reason why I love Disney is not because I thought 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was the coolest freaking ride in the world, which I did, and I totally bought that into the idea that I was actually going underwater, which I wasn't, but it's because of the memories that I have of going there with my parents. I had an awesome relationship, I still have an awesome relationship with my mom, my dad passed a few years ago, but the reason why I loved it and I kept on going back was because of, man, um, it was because of the memories that we had while we were there, because there was something transformative about this place. When you step through that, that portal into Magic Kingdom, something happens. Um, something special happens. I know I sound like a freak, but it's true. Like you forget about your job, your home, your family, the bills, all of the crap that, that gets you down and you are transported to a, a place where 
it's not just there to make you happy, but it's there to help facilitate those memories. So going with my parents, going as going in with my friends and with my wife and then with my kids, you know, that was one of my goals was to take away those, create and take away those similar kind of memories. And that's what I want to do with the show too. I want to help facilitate that for people who are going. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of the Being a Fan of Disney podcast. I'm your host, Cody Haver. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining us and listening and to say that I hope you found the information, whether content covered in class or interviews with guests, fun, informational, entertaining, and even inspiring. If you want to follow along with the class, you can do so by following me on Twitter at chaverphd. That's C-H-A-V. A-R-D, Ph.D., or by joining the public group on Facebook, Being a Fan of Disney. If you want to engage with any of the guests we've had in class, their contact information is included in each of the show notes. So again, thank you for joining us. It was a great time having you. If you like what you hear, please share this out so other people can engage with the information, possibly learn more about their Disney fandom and their love for all things Disney related. With that, Thank you again and have a great day.